May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. Thanks to listeners like yourself, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia consistently ranks among the top podcasts in fibromyalgia. By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you can help us climb the charts. Type Conquering Your Fibromyalgia in your podcast provider. Hit the subscription or follow button and leave a five-star review. This will make it easier for podcast listeners to find Conquering Your Fibromyalgia. What they found was that young people from the high suicide communities didn't have stories to tell. They were incapable of talking about their lives in any coherent, organized way. They had no clear sense of their past, their childhood, and the generations preceding them. And their attempts to outline possible futures were empty of form and meaning. Unlike the other children, they could not see their lives as narratives, as stories. Their attempts to answer questions about their life stories were punctuated by long pauses and unfinished sentences. They had nothing but the present, nothing to look forward to. So many of them took their lives. People that are going through very difficult medical hardships is they've stopped, right? A lot of times and they just have a lot of time to think. And so I would say that's an opportunity a huge opportunity to ask those big questions and to to follow them and just take advantage of that opportunity that you have. Welcome to the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am a pediatrician, an internal medicine physician, and a lifestyle medicine doctor as well. I also am author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain, where I try to blend the best of both medical management with lifestyle medicine, just as I try to do on this podcast. I try to take a mind-body-spirit approach as well. Join me where we pick up from our discussion last week. If you haven't listened to the first two parts of this series, be good to go back and listen to those too as this is a continuation of the conversation if you like the podcast please hit the subscribe button the follow button and leave a five-star review this can then be shared with more people who are going through struggling at dealing with pain and suffering when you've been with as, as a pastor working one-on-one with people and maybe share some counseling or support that you might have who with somebody who's going through a tough situation and how you might approach that with them 
Yeah. So, so I'm a Christian. And so I would approach the situation completely dependent on where the person is spiritually. So if I'm dealing with a person, there's been many times where when I was a pastor, I would have members of my congregation that would have friends that were you know, dying of cancer or something like that. And they would recommend that their friend just like, it's, it's about time you kind of sorted through some of this stuff spiritually, right? Please just talk to my pastor, you know, or things like that. And so uh, I developed these great relationships with uh, people that were originally not Christian, you know, when I met with them. And so as they're going through hardships, my goal there is, is very plain and simple. I want to be able to tell them that the pain and suffering that they're going through, that they are not alone as they're going through this, right? And the reason that they're not alone is because the pain and suffering of this world are not meaningless, that there is an overarching story. And so all of these things in life that we go through serve the overarching purpose of this story. And the grand overarching purpose of this story, if we're to put in the most kind of broad epic terms possible, is that we have the God of this universe finding a way of overcoming the evil of this world, you know, what Christians call sin that's brought into this world. But in a very personal way, what we're talking about more than anything else is that there is a God that is searching for each and every one of us. C.S. Lewis once famously said that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pains as if through a megaphone. And what he meant by that is that the times that we are most likely willing to listen to God or the times that we are very often more able to hear about God is when we are going through harsh pain and suffering. The pain and suffering that we go through in this life, God allows that to happen to tell us as clear as possible that there is something wrong with this world. There is so much that's good and beautiful about it, but there is just clearly something broken about it. And at the heart of what's broken is you and me, right? It's not as if all of the evil is out there. The evil is within me just as much, right? I am just as much a source of the pain and the suffering of this world through my evil actions as any other person out there. And if there is a God, man, right? A God that is, is holy and righteous and loving and created this world that he loves. And I'm a source of evil in this world, man, there, there must, there must be a problem between me and this God. And so God had a solution for that. And so that, that's what we talk about, right? We talk about how there is uh, a solution to not just the, the pain and suffering or the seemingly meaningless pain and suffering in my life that I'm going through, but also all of the psychological pain and suffering that I go through, the guilt that I feel for the things that I've done, right? And for the hardships that I've caused, there is a solution to that, right? And as Christians, we would say that comes straight from the forgiveness of Christ, something that he offers freely for us. So that's where I'm going, right? I'm talking about meaning and how meaning can only be found in this theological context. If I'm talking to a Christian, well, then we've got the meta-narrative, right? We've got it there. And all I'm simply doing is I'm reminding them of the promises that God gives us in the Bible, his revealed way of of telling us, you know, know, what he's done for us to get us through the hardships of this world. And I'm just reminding the person of that, right? So, you know, there's some great passages 
Uh, for example, there's a guy named Paul in the New Testament that says that, you know, God is working all things out for the good of those who love him, right? That God will never leave us or forsake us, and he's working all things out for our good. That is true if there is a meta narrative. The Christian meta narrative is true, right? That that there is a God that is with us through the pain and the suffering that we go through. He will never leave us or forsake us. And he is working all things out for our good. So I might not be able to guess how he's doing it with the suffering that I'm going through right now. But if there is a God, a God that loves me and has demonstrated that love for me by sending a savior for me through Jesus, if that is true, then I know that the pain and suffering I'm going through, that same God is somehow working this out for my good, that he's using it in some way to draw me closer to him or using it in some way for me to be able to help the people in the lives around me to serve other. I don't know. I've got no idea how he's doing it, but I know that he's using it for my good and I can simply trust him. I can trust him because he's demonstrated he's trustworthy in all of these other ways. So the meta narrative is the framework that we can understand some of these powerful, what we would call gospel promises that the Christian finds in God's word. It's an incredible thing to consider. If that isn't something you've thought about and haven't even maybe been aware of that there may be an overarching meaning. Solomon at the end said everything was meaningless. All of these things were chasing, you know, trying to help, trying to cure. He was a biologist, scientist. He was a great mm-hmm. economist and great leader and accumulated great wealth and all of these things that we help in our short term. But all of those, if we're honest with ourselves, are short term, you know, and if, if this is it, if this is all there is, it's kind of a hopelessness there. uh, George uh, Wallace, George Foster Wallace, uh, famous famous author wrote that in a speech, everybody worships something. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have that off the quote off the top or the, (laughs) the paraphrase of that, but I think even those who may think they're not, can you share the gist of what he said? Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember uh, 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 quite all of it off the top of my head. Yes. His famous commencement. I was able to pull up the quote from David Foster Wallace. He says, because here's something else that's weird, but true in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the wicked mother goddess or the four noble truths or inviolable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are what you tap real meaning in life from, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables. It's a skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up in front 
in daily consciousness. And that quote is from David Foster Wallace. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. But everyone worships something, right, at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's spot on. So we might think that we can live as if there is no God, but ultimately we're going to turn something into it. I mean, that's 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 one of the great kind of Christian insights that we have. And even an atheist like David Foster Wallace recognized that. I think the big thing is, is, you know, some people say life without a meta narrative, I can do this, right? I can do this. It's liberating. If there's no meta narrative, people feel that way because then I've got no one that's telling me what to do, right? I can shape things however I want. I can decide whatever I want. I can be whoever I want to be. That feels so liberating. Yet on the other hand, if we take philosophers uh, writers as well. Foster Wallace was very honest, just as much as Nietzsche was on this topic. Then we are literally lost if there is no meta narrative, right? We are straying through an infinite nothing. It just becomes incredibly hard. There's maybe one, if I can read, if you're all right with it, yeah, just one, one it. extended quote uh, from the book here. This was a study I had an excerpt of in my book. And this study was uh, so. As I was preparing and counseling for uh, helping some individuals out with alcohol addiction, I picked up this great book on you know, some of the psychology behind alcohol addiction and, and some ways of, of dealing with it. And in that, I came across this quote. So the authors say, so now they're talking about another study. Michael Chandler and his associates at the University of British Columbia canvassed native communities through much of Western Canada. What struck them almost immediately was the astounding suicide rate among teenagers, 500 to 800 times the national average, infecting many of these communities, but not all of them. Some native communities reported a low of zero, true for six tribal councils, to a high of 633 suicides per 100,000. So 633 suicides per 100,000. That's incredible. Like that's, that's incredible how high that is. What could possibly make the difference between places where teens had nothing to live for and those where teens had nothing to die for. The researchers began talking to the kids. They collected stories. They asked teens to talk about their lives, about their goals, and about their futures. What they found was that young people from the high suicide communities didn't have stories to tell. They were incapable of talking about their lives in any coherent, organized way. They had no clear sense of their past, their childhood, and the generations preceding them, and their attempts to outline possible futures were empty of form and meaning. Unlike the other children, they could not see their lives as narratives, as stories. Their attempts to answer questions about their life stories were punctuated by long pauses and unfinished sentences. They had nothing but the present, nothing to look forward to. So many of them took their lives. And so I think it's just crystal clear when you look at studies like this, what happens when you take, uh, you know, large populations and you, you literally tear, tear them out of their roots, right? Uh, their, their geographical roots. Um, they no longer live in a place that, you know, has their stories and there's all these other things that go along with it, but you see clearly the implications 
if there is no meta narrative, right? Clearly, that it is deeply important for us to think that we have a purpose, to know that there's some type of future, something to work towards, something, right, in life. You take that away, you can try to construct it for yourself. You can try to do that. But but Nietzsche, I mean, he ended up going crazy at the end of his life. Now, maybe it wasn't strictly because of his philosophy. Uh, he had some medical things that he was dealing with as well. But it couldn't have helped uh, mm-hmm. him believing that somehow he had to construct his own new set of values that somehow the fate of all meaning and value rested on his shoulders and him alone, that he had to somehow construct this stuff out of his will. No one wants that. No one wants that responsibility. And I think the question that people who are going through things, there's why and why. And I try to, in my yeah. best to try to give medical explanations. And a lot of this podcast, we're trying to give a lot of science yep. and understanding of this, but the why implies that there's a purpose yeah, and that there's a, something that was supposed to happen yep. this way. Um, uh, my daughter asked a question about heart disease on the way to school. One of her classmates has a, some kind of congenital heart disease. She doesn't know much about it. She asked, well, why, why does that happen? What, you know, and they're on a simple, something uh, wasn't designed properly, but then you, you look at, we had at the end of my, developmental biology class in med school you learn about how you have an egg and a sperm come together and you get a human being (laughs) developing through that and well you learn how things happen and then along the way you learn about how things can go wrong and at the end he he said boy we are fearfully and wonderfully made and how that design the the language and dna in putting things together and i had i came to the realization that why doesn't this happen more often? It's there's so many things that can go wrong designing, you know, people who are architects trying to build things and engineers and all the steps that have to go, uh, just taking off on an airplane and, and flying an airplane landing, all the parts that have to be working smoothly. There's such evidence of a design and there is this, well, we can maybe explain by just saying, well, We'll just say there isn't a designer. We've already excluded that, like uh, the late 1800s were and, and continuing into this day and uh, where we take that out. Well, that's that's not a, well, why? And there isn't a deeper meaning. How do we get that uh, connection? I think so much of uh, our life can be just keeping really busy. And I think that reading through your book really helps to look at life and perspectives and how we look at things and if there's more, like what if, well, maybe there is something more than the now and the here. And I, I think I haven't read a lot of literature on burnout, but you think of burnout in medicine, uh, people going uh, in nursing and nursing staff and ICUs, taking care of people who are dying from COVID when it was at the, the height. And, and that can be exhausting. Uh, people living with somebody who has fibromyalgia and not getting better is exhausting. Having this can be exhausting and it's so easy to get burned out on life. And if you're trying to find these short-term meanings, but they're not there and 
sometimes the pleasure in the world might have been when a spouse and, and the, the beauty and love a, a spouse has, but when they go through something, now that can be exhausting. Yeah, and, and I'm not trying to in any way downplay the scientific why, right? I, that's so important, right? The fact that we are able to kind of learn the things that we can as far as why we go through the things. There, so the, the Oxford mathematician, John Lennox, he's a Christian mathematician, philosopher type guy. And he said, one of the things we need to realize, and so he's a scientist, one of the things we need to realize is really be careful about what kind of why question we're asking, because there's, there's more than one kind of why. If I were to ask, you know, why is there a combustion engine? Well, we could put down the combustion engine and take it apart and kind of see all the parts that work together. And that's one explanation for the combustion engine. But Henry Ford is another explanation, right? They're both explanations. And the explanation is incomplete unless you have both of them, right? And that doesn't mean that one explanation is better than the other. But it's incomplete unless you have the larger one, right? And I think this is just incredibly important for us to think about existentially because when we go through suffering and when our friends are going through suffering, they are at times asking different why questions, right? Sometimes it's, well, why is, you know, can I understand physiologically why this is happening to me, right? Can I figure out what's going on with my body and is there anything that I can do about it once I get the explanation, right? The physiological explanation. That's only one kind of why, right? The deeper why, and maybe the more profound why is why is this actually happening, right? Is there some purpose behind it? Or is this just a freak thing that's happening, right? Or, you know, is, is there, is there some reason behind this, you know, and uh, we just need to be sensitive to that, I think. And we don't need to, say that somehow one explanation is better than the other, we can love both of them, right? Yeah. And I think as a doctor, it's fun uh, yeah. answering the why questions on certain things. And that's why I share yeah. on the podcast. But sometimes there's situations where just there isn't a great solution and people yeah. are going through struggling, wondering, you, you asking, what is the heart? Why do you ask? And I think sometimes, what, why do you ask that why question? What is what? What do you understand? And and sometimes making assumptions uh, where somebody's yeah. at, right? I'm sure when you've counseled with people, you ask, you know, where where where's what's your understanding about things and and the why and 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 these things to see where they're at. Um, many people may have heard of some kind of uh, meta narrative and paradigm, and often there's this syncretic back and forth where we may identify as a being a spiritual, you know, the mind, body, spirit connection. But well, what does that mean? And often there's borrowing of different meta narratives and philosophies that are inner intermingled without even knowing where those ideas even came from. And it's can be pretty sobering to consider some of these. And I think your book does a good job of in a loving, caring, but also philosophical way, dissecting the effects or the types of philosophies and, and answering the, the bigger purpose. And I think having a bigger pur- purpose, it is that there is maybe a bigger cosmic narrative that in the short term, there may not be a solution. And that means short term meaning while we're here or, and, right. and that there 
is a bigger hope when people are going through. Uh, I like as you with all the years of language that you've learned, even learned the Canadian language. Just kidding. When you were living in Canada, <laughs> I interviewed one of my first podcast hosts was or a guest was from Nova Scotia. And she oh, had quite nice. an accent. And yeah, I had yeah. a nice, <laughs> but um, the despair. And that's, you know, I think flattened from without hope, you know, yeah. and, and often when you're feeling without any hope and that may be what hope are we hoping for a fix here and now? And, and I, I've gotten a chance to work with patients to help them go through things and help them in the short term. Um, and I, I love doing that. And I'm, I'm sure you love helping people connect the dots to a bigger hope in the long term. That's what you've dedicated your time to helping understand people better and how they think. I mean, philosophy is understanding how people think about things. And right. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, technically, philosophy is uh, asking like the last questions, right? So, <laughs> right. So, again, you know, kind of thinking about, uh, you know, maybe going back to Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, you know, example there, you know, so is it good to be curious, right? Well, yeah, everyone would agree with that. The philosophical question is why, right? Why is it, you know, the ultimate thing? Why is it good to be curious? Um, you know, why, uh, why is it a big deal that I'm suffering? Right. Like ultimately, you know, what can we ground, you know, that the answer on. And is, is it a good thing to help people? Yeah. Is it a good thing to care about other people who are maybe, uh, maybe considered if you're disabled, uh, with fibromyalgia, well, why should, you know, and, and, and those philosophies have been acted out in relatively modern history going through what Stalin and um, Hitler and how their perspectives were acted out. And and that if it's not, you're not utilitarian, it's not helpful. And and yet how do we make those standards on right, wrong, all of that? Well, I've so enjoyed having you uh, with us on the podcast. There's so much more. And I encourage listeners if they can check out your book, I'll have links there. And, if you're interested, Luke has willing, if you want to email him some questions or thoughts, I'll have his contact information there and love for you to uh, share some insights and thoughts. And maybe we'll have you back on another day. Any last thoughts or comments? Just that for those that, you know, are going through hardships, I think that they are just a good opportunity to slow down and ask the big questions, right? The The atheist philosopher Albert Camus once said, the only time that we realize that if there is no God, life is meaningless is when we stop working and when we just kind of stop doing things and we have time to think. The problem with a lot of people that are going through very difficult medical hardships is they've stopped, right, a lot of times and they just have a lot of time to think. And so... I would say that's an opportunity, a huge opportunity to ask those big questions and to to follow them and just take advantage of that opportunity that you have. All right. Well, thank you very much. That wraps up our three-part series on pain, suffering, and meaning in life. There was a lot to digest, and I hope that you have found it enriching. Next week, we will be discussing Lyme disease. 
Lyme disease in many aspects is very straightforward, but in others, it can be confusing and even controversial. Living in Wisconsin, I have seen many with acute Lyme disease and helped them get better. However, there is a condition called chronic Lyme disease and post-Lyme treatment disorder, which is shrouded in a cloud of mystery and confusion. These include diagnosis, testing, and treatments. Many of the symptoms overlap with fibromyalgia. Is there a connection? Research is ongoing, and many who have been diagnosed have been through ongoing struggles. Many have felt abandoned by traditional medical providers. In that vacuum, alternative medicine has attempted to find meaningful answers and solutions. We will unpack these using an evidence-based approach, hoping to offer helpful and meaningful insights. I look forward to discussing these with a special guest, Zach Telfer, a fourth-year medical resident who has been doing clinical rotations with me for the last three years in my clinic. He will be doing a fellowship in infectious disease next year. Until then, go Team Fibro! Fibro!